Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. We are in the second part of a four-part series called In the Beginning, and it's a biblical look at early earth history we started let there be light and we're going to go all the way through the tower of babel so if you do have your bibles and you want to join along with me we are going to be in genesis chapter 4 genesis chapter 4 um i worked for the prison system in texas for seven years and um, when i first started i was a building officer and we opened up the line all unit in Fort Stockton, Texas. And um, as a building officer, me and Ralph were working the, what they called the IDR gate. And the IDR gate is the inmate dining room gate. And basically the IDR gate officer is responsible for all of the mass movements, you know, chow, laundry, going to work, all of this stuff runs through that desk. And me and Ralph were running the IDR desk the first day that prison opened. That's where we were assigned. And coming down from the line building, which was the admin building, coming down from the line building that morning about 7 a.m., we had started at 5.30, about 7 a.m., me and Ralph are standing there and we hear, Clink, clink, clink. Here comes the field force. These are the officers that get to ride horses and take the inmates outside the gate and carry guns on their hips. And then you'll have uh, high riders out there in the brush, 3030s, in case somebody tries to run off. And, you know, I mean, it is the cool job, okay, in the prison. It's the cool job. They're the only guys besides the warden and upper rank that can wear cowboy hats. And, you know, they've got their spurs on and they're chink. Chink, chink, walking down through there. And I promise you, man, I think every one of these guys was going, dragging their spurs, just so that we all knew that they were coming, right? And, and I was the same way, because I ended up being one of those guys. But anyway, as they're walking by, me and Ralph are standing there. We say good morning, you know, and everything. And anyway, they walk past, and we looked at one of these guys. And one of these guys... Bless his other loving heart. Just because you're field force doesn't mean you know what you're doing. Okay? He had his spurs on upside down. <laughs> and a couple of other officers called utility officers that just kind of hang around there like your gophers. They go do things for the IDR gate. Um, a couple of utility officers was standing there. And one of them, you know, hit us and like, I mean, you see his spurs? We're like, yeah, we see his spurs. He's like, He's, he's never going to make it. And another guy said, it'll be a miracle if he does. And me and Ralph both looked at this guy and me and Ralph both said, we believe in miracles. You know what? That officer turned out to be a really good officer, a really good field force officer. And he, and he was open to learning. He, he didn't know anything about any of this. How can you get mad at somebody for doing something that, that they're just completely ignorant about? I mean, what would happen if you'd never been around a horse and somebody said to go get spurs and put them on your boots? Well, I'm pretty sure I'd get right. But yeah, I'm not saying that everybody would, okay? I'm not sure that everybody. But I am one of these that believes in miracles. Are you? Because I believe in healing. 
I believe in resurrections. I believe walking on water. I believe in angels and demons and good and evil. And I believe in the transfiguration and, and burning mesquite bushes. I want to believe in whales swallowing prophets and people being saved as a result. I love and believe that Elijah was taken up in a chari chariot being pulled by fiery horses. And I want to believe in Esther before the king and David standing before Goliath. These are all things in the Bible and I want to believe in miracles. And I hope you do too. I hope you do too. We all want to believe in these things. And, and there's, a, there's a cowboy saying, and I can't really tell you the real cowboy saying because a real cowboy saying has some real cowboy words. Okay? But everybody wants to be a cowboy until it's time to do cowboy stuff. Right? Well, I think that that kind of applies to Christians sometimes because everybody wants to believe in miracles until it's time to believe in miracles. Right? We all want to believe in the, in the omniscience and the omnipotence of God and his majesty and his power and his grace and his forgiveness. And then when we are given the chance, we go, well, I don't believe that. Well, I don't believe that. What we have here is an opportunity to believe, okay? And when we start talking about today, there's going to be some crazy, crazy, crazy stuff that comes out of the Bible. And it's awesome. I love it. Do I understand it? Not a bit of it, really, because <laughs> I don't have to. Just because I can believe what the Bible says doesn't mean that I have to understand it, because that's what has happened in today's society. People only want to believe what they think can be proven. I don't have to understand it to believe in it, okay? That's what we're going to talk about today. Today, we will talk about church killers, We'll talk about fallen angels, giants, behemoths, leviathans, and above all else, we will talk about the wickedness of men and the need for a savior. Last week, we covered the creation account, the first seven days of the Bible that led into the fall of Adam and Eve and them being kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Coincidentally, we learned this in our Bible study. And if you like Bible facts, you should come to our Bible study. It will be made online available for our Long X Ranch Cowboys. But the garden was in Eden. Eden was not the garden, okay? Th that's important. Eden was not the garden. The garden was in an area God called Eden. And the garden is where the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life was, okay? So whenever they are kicked out of the garden, they are not kicked out of Eden, only where the tree of life was, okay? And we will, we will get to that. So, in the very beginning of Genesis chapter 4, uh, or before Genesis chapter 4, we read the story about Cain and Abel. Now, I, I think that everybody kind of understands the story of Cain and Abel, but just in case, and, and I think most of us, Remember it from like Sunday school or, or uh, you know, like picture books, you know, like cool Bible stories for the kids. Cain killed Abel with a rock. 
I've always wondered about that one, you know. But I mean, I guess the flood kills everybody else. So I guess the best Bible stories involve death. No wonder we like action movies, right? Yes, yes, all the animals are happy, everybody else killing each other with rocks. Okay, so the story of Cain and Abel, how about I give you the cowboy version of it, okay? What we have in the story of Cain and Abel is a conflict that, believe it or not, is still alive today. It really is. Because, you see, Cain was a farmer, Abel was a rancher. It goes back that far. It is still a conflict today. And if you really want to get yourself in trouble, try to be a rancher that raises crops, it doesn't work, and be a farmer that tries to farm cows, <laughs> right? It just doesn't work. We should just all stick to what we're good at, right? But it was, it was the first conflict between a farmer and a rancher because even though they had been kicked out of the garden of Eden, God at this time was still walking and talking with, with Adam and Eve and their two sons, Cain and Abel, right? God is still walking around and talking to them. Well, one day they are worshiping God. So there is worship in Eden. There's not worship in the Garden of Eden because they can't go there anymore, right? But anyway, there is... Um, they are still in Eden, and they take an offering to the Lord, okay? Now, Cain, what does he have to offer the Lord? What is Cain? He's a farmer. What does he have to offer? So Cain took his John Deere tractor, <laughs> and he offered it as a sack. No, of course he didn't. He grabbed some grain as a grain offering, okay? Because he's a farmer, right? And then Abel, because Abel is a rancher, it's okay, Ty, he's a sheep rancher, he's still a rancher, there are levels of ranchers, <laughs> there's levels, <laughs> any cowboy can gather cows, it takes a sheep man to gather both. Uh, but anyway, so Abel takes a spotless lamb and takes it to God, and God accepts Abel's sacrifice but does not accept Cain's sacrifice. Now, the, the thing about it is he did not accept Cain's sacrifice or Cain's offering. He didn't, it's not that he didn't accept Cain. He just didn't accept that. And there's a, there's a couple of different theories of why. And let me just kind of merge a couple of them and I'll give you mine and then you can think whatever you want because God gives you that ability. I think that Cain was like, oh man, I'm late for church. I'm supposed to be taking something for the potluck. <laughs> right? He didn't put no thought into it. It didn't mean anything. He just grabbed something and went. On the other hand, Abel. Abel took a brand new baby goat that was without blemish, meaning it was the best one he had. Right? I mean, basically, that's like going to the stock show, winning first with your bull, and then giving it to God, right? I mean, that, that's what Abel's sacrifice was, where Cain's was just kind of like, yeah, I'll just take something, right? 
God is more concerned about the why in our heart. And, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, you can give a million dollars, but if you don't give a million dollars with the right heart, it's probably not going to mean anything. Because if you're giving a million dollars just to test God to see if he'll bless you with, you know, 12 million, you know, 2% interest or whatever that is, you know, I, I don't know. You can give with the wrong heart. And that's what happened to Cain. So first recorded offering of gifts from the Lord. God actually walked and talked with Adam's family at the time and God accepted Abel's, but not Cain's. And in Genesis chapter four, verse seven, as a result of God not accepting Cain's sacrifice, God says this, and it is applicable to us today. God warns Cain. He can see with the offering, just the, his heart's not in it. He takes it. God accepts Abel's. He doesn't accept Cain's. Cain gets mad because in our, in our sin, in our rebellion of God, we want to compare. We want to say what's fair, what's not fair, all of this. And God says this to Cain in Genesis chapter four, verse seven. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. In other words, God is saying, look, man, you got some thoughts that are running through your head right now that are not good for you. You need to take a step back, realize to do the right thing, because if you give in to this, you're going to get washed away. Sin is going to control you when you open that door, and there's not going to be a lot that you can do about it, and there's not going to be anything you can do about it, about it apart from me. You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And Cain listened with half an ear. Because what we find very, the next thing that happens is Cain kills Abel with a rock. And God goes to Cain and he says, where is your brother Abel? Do you think God didn't know where Abel was? Of course he knew where Abel was. He was giving Cain a chance to uh, confess his sin. And what did Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. And God's like, bull, his blood cries out from the soil that, it's, that you've watered the ground with. And in, as a result of that, God hands down some punishments to Cain. Okay? No, now, remember, Cain is the farmer, right? So God says, because you killed your brother... You, you are not going to be able to grow anything anymore. You are not, you're going to wander the land and no matter what you do, nothing you work the soil with will ever come up. That, that's a harsh sentence. That's like telling a rancher, any cow that steps onto your place is going to die. Okay. And, and Cain basically, well, and I'll kind of get to that. He banishes him from the area around Eden. Okay, now remember, we're not talking about the Garden of Eden. We're talking about the land, the area known as Eden, where the garden was in the middle of it. Not only have they been kicked out of the garden, but now for the first time, God kicks somebody out of Eden. 
okay? He banishes him from the area around Eden, and Cain says, this is too much. <laughs> Get this. Cain says his punishment is too much because somebody might try to kill him. Well, what did you do, Cain? And so God put a mark on Cain and said, anybody that kills you will suffer seven times the punishment you're getting if anybody kills you. In other words, you, we ain't just going to put you to death. You're going to basically just rot on death row. You know, I mean, you're going to have to live with what you did. I'm not even going to let the, the uh, death come upon you to take you away from this, okay? So he put a mark on him that if anyone kills Cain, they will be punished sevenfold. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 16, so Cain left the presence Oh, Cain left the Lord's presence. The Lord was still in Eden, not just in the Garden of Eden, but in Eden, because God is walking around and talking to him. Cain is sent away, right? So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, N-O-D, east of Eden, okay? So that tells us that Eden was a real place, and there was people living there, people getting kicked out of there. And so Cain couldn't come back to the Garden of Eden, or to Eden, much less the Garden of Eden, because we know at the fall, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, right? And what was placed at the mouth of the garden where the tree of was? An angel, right? That has a, a sword that flashes back and forth, is what the Bible says. And it is crazy that according to my sources, that the, the Garden of Eden is now guarded by the Archangel Clint Eastwood. Huh? Darth Vader? No, it was Clint Eastwood. Uh, <laughs> and, and luckily, I couldn't find the scripture reference from that, but it's found in an extra biblical text. Ty found it. It's found in Magnum chapter 4, verse 4. <laughs> Thank you for that, Ty. You're going to have to work on Zach. He's going to have to. Glad you filled in for Zach on that one. Yeah, of course not. I'm joking. Okay, we got to liven this up a little bit. Okay, so the Archangel Clint Eastwood is guarding the garden. That's what we're going to go with. If the Bible doesn't say what it is, we can just assume. And that's what I'm going to assume. So, I mean, Clint Eastwood's been around a long time. Right? And he is. He is. Pretty cool. So what can we learn from this? Okay, what can we learn from this? Number one, sin is infiltrating the earth. Okay, sin is infiltrating the earth. It is spreading like a cancer. And, and we can also learn that God cares more about why you do something than the what. The, the what you do without the accompanying why makes the what you do mm, iffy. Okay, and here's the main thing that I learned from all of that is that the first family lost the reward of the Garden of Eden, but they didn't lose their God, did they? They, they lost their reward, but they didn't lose their God. In the biblical account of creation, when we move on to chapter five, is all about genealogies and dates, and what can we learn from this is that back then, People lived very, very, very long lives. Number one, they were genetically perfect. Number two, they did not have hamburger helper. Okay? They did not make anything out of a box. 
okay? They did not have macaroni and cheese. Yeah, I know, I know. But Methuselah, Methuselah lived 969 years. He's the oldest man to ever live, 969 years. His son, Lamech, lived to be 777 years old. And Noah was 500 years old when he had his first kid. Can you believe his wife? No, I want a baby in a little while. In a little while. We got time. Noah, you're 500 years old. <laughs> uh, but, but see, here's the thing. They were genetically perfect. Intermarriage and all that. I mean, like, okay, when you start with two. Did y'all understand all that? Okay. For those on the radio, I'm doing this. <laughs> they were genetically perfect. Intermarriage did not mess things up like it does today. No preservation, no preservatives in food. Everything was all natural. Uh, higher air pressure because of the, the air separated the waters above and the waters below. A higher air pressure and Rick's oxygen was perfect for life. Unlike today, and because of the water above the earth, the temperature above and below, it had like a canopy around the earth. It was like a greenhouse. It probably stayed between 70 and 82 degrees year round. I'll take it. I will take it. But as great as that is, we do have a world that is going wrong. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. All right, you ready? Here's where it gets cool. I want to believe. Then the people began to multiply on the earth and the daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any that they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days, talking about the days before the flood, in those days and for some time after. So that means before the flood and for a time after. Um, let's see, where was I? In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilim lived on the earth for whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Hmm. That's cool. I don't care who you are. Giants, heroes, famous warriors of ancient time, Nephilim, sons of God, daughters of Adam, long lives. I don't understand any of that, but it's freaking awesome. Because you see, I don't have to understand everything to believe it. I believe it's even more fantastical than even this short little three or four verses. It's amazing what God can do. There is a verbal and written account of the flood from every major culture in the ancient world, as well as some fantastical beasts from, that have the exact same animals, talking about dragons and other stuff, that supposedly didn't even know each other existed back then, that have the same thing, they all tell basically the same story. Does that mean all of this is a myth, or does that mean that all of them are taking it from what really happened, and that's what I believe. I don't have to understand it all to believe it. Now, 
I know what you're asking. Okay, Kevin, this is getting out there. You're right. And I love it. That, that's where we go meet God is out there in the wilds, not in the safety of a four building church. Let's go out into the wilds and meet God. The three main views of who the sons of God were that married the daughters of Adams that revolt, resulted in the Nephilim, the giant Nephilim. Um, number one is that they were fallen angels or something of that sort, divine something that were marrying with the, uh, with the daughters of Eve. And uh, so that's one account, which the result of that would have been um, giants. So the second view of who the sons of God was, was human judges or rulers. Now, the, the problem with that is if they're just more humans marrying humans, why did that produce giant race of people when it's just two normal humans. So each of these has its drawbacks, according to scholars. And the third uh, idea of who the sons of God were is godly men of the line of Seth. That, that's where Noah came from. Some scholars believe that uh, when God pulled that line of Seth out, you know, Cain's Cain has already sinned and all of his people, his descendants are following him and doing exactly what he did. But Seth stays godly with Methuselah and Lamech and Enoch and all of them. Some people say that the godly line of Seth was supposed to stay within that line. And when they did what the Jews did by marrying outside of that, that you took a godly you know, a pure, godly, righteous person and put them with an ungodly pagan worshiper that the result of that was the Nephilim. Once again, that doesn't describe why they were giants. You make up your own mind. If you want to hear more about my theories on that, you'll have to come to the Bible study. So regardless of which way you decide to believe, the results of these sons of God marrying the daughters of man is wickedness that is like a cancer that goes through the entire world. And it talks about that in Genesis chapter six, verses seven and eight. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Where once everything is good, now there is no one good save Noah. Wickedness is our default setting. Left unchecked by faith, forgiveness, obedience, and worship, we too will fall into wickedness. There's only one cure for the wickedness of man, the, the uh, sin that we inherited from Adam, and that is a God that can take it away. We can never be good enough. We can only do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, and that is called righteousness. Where once everything was good, now sin is like a cancer. Well, is there an application to this today? I believe that there is because in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus shows us why these days of Noah before the flood are applicable to us today. Because in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, Jesus himself says, 
as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Doesn't wickedness prevail all over the earth today just like it did in Noah's day? It does. I mean, church, church attendance and Bible-believing people are, you know, it's just not what it once was. People are turning away from God and turning to, you know, worshiping aliens and all of this other stuff, blah, 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 blah. Wickedness prevailed all over the earth in Noah's day, much like today. And you know what? God was searching for the righteous in Noah's day. And you know what? God is searching for the righteous today as well. His plan for that has not changed. Remember, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. God is searching for the righteous, much like today. And we know that without worship, obedience, forgiveness, and faith, we will end up like the daughters of men, not even caring about the truth, not worshiping our God and creator, believing in false lies. And finally, Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. There was a time when Noah was ridiculed for building a big box and putting a bunch of animals in it that came from all over the earth. He didn't even have to do anything except open the door. There was a time when people scoffed at him and told him that he was dumb and all of this other stuff. And they still thought that until the rain started. And in the days, and that's what God says, there was a time when it was too late and there will be another time when it is too late. Just like when the rain started, when our heart stops, it's too late. I implore you to make that decision. To, to, to get the why of why we do what we do. We have a story that repeats itself time and time again of rebellion and God making a way for us to come back. What does God want from us? This is what God wants from you. If you really want to boil it down, in my opinion, what does God want? He wants to love you. And what he wants is for you to choose to love him in return. That's it. That is it. Faith plus nothing. Faith is loving God. And as was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for always providing a way back. And that way back was ultimately defined as your son whenever he died on the cross to pave the way to you, God, because you are the destination in all things. For those of us that live according to your word and love you like you love or try to love you like you love us, God, we have a reward waiting on us that is eternity better than any bad time that we will have doing so. God, we thank you for who you are and we will try to love you more and more every day as we strive to show you the same kind of love that you show us and let us show that love to others while we're at it. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.